The uh, scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 1. This is uh, verses 3 through 8. It is found in your Pew Study Bible on 1161, page 1161. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Thank you, Doug. Well, find your hymnals as we continue worshiping the Lord. There is only one sure foundation for our faith and for our joy, and that is Christ. So we are in the book of Philippians. Again, that's page 1161 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. This fall and winter, we are looking at Paul's vision for the church in this book, what we've entitled Gospel Mission, Gospel Community. And as we saw last week, and we'll see again this morning, partnership in the gospel, so in the good news of what God has done to accomplish his purposes to deal with our sin, our rebellion, the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of this world, by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live, to die, to rise for us in our place, to bring forgiveness and new life, a new beginning, a new family, a new, a new community, a new identity, a new mission, all of that. Partnership in that gospel message is the pivotal theme of the book of Philippians. So gospel community, a people saved by the grace of God in Jesus, uh, saved, reconciled to him, and being transformed by that same grace. And gospel mission, a people saved not merely from our sins, but for God's purposes, for God's mission of making much of his name throughout our neighborhoods and throughout the nations as more and more people find their hope and their grace and their life uh, that's available only in Jesus Christ. So we are bound together by Jesus in a community on mission. That is the pivotal theme of the book of Philippians, partnership in the gospel. And we surveyed that last week a bit. We saw kind of the groundwork for that laid in Paul's introduction. Verses 1 through 2 of chapter 1 formed kind of an overture for the, the melody of gospel partnership that runs through the book. We saw that it requires a posture of humility and that it means recognizing we have a holy calling in Jesus. We've been set apart for a purpose and that everything that comes out of that as we move forward is fueled by God's grace. We saw that groundwork laid last week. This morning we're moving now into the first major section of Philippians in uh, verses 3 through 11 and Paul's opening prayer for gospel partnership among the Philippians. 
Uh, today we're going to look at the first part of that and the motivation for Paul's prayer. What is it that moves him to pray this way for this kind of partnership? And that's in verses 3 through 8. The beauty of gospel partnership. And then next week we're going to look at the actual content. What is it he's praying for them in verses 9 through 11? So let's pray and ask God to meet us, to guide us, to give us a passion and a vision for this kind of community on mission uh, and to uh, seek his face. So, Lord, we do ask that you would be present with us. And we know that, we, that you are by your spirit. But whenever your people gather, you are with us. And God, we praise you for that. We thank you that it's not because of anything we've done. It's not because we have made it up to you when we've, when we've failed. It's by your grace through what Christ has done on the cross that you're with us. And it's by that same grace we ask you would change us that you would give us eyes to see you, that you would give us hearts eager to be molded, to love you more, to hate sin less, and to love each other more with the kind of love and affection that flows through Christ. So that is our prayer, God, that you'd meet us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, partnership in the gospel is a beautiful thing. Just let your eyes fall back over these lines in verses 3 through 8 and listen to the gratitude and the thankfulness in Paul's voice. I thank my God every time I remember you. Really? Every time? That's pretty amazing when you think about it. I mean, even the people we love the most, not every single one of our thoughts are always happy when we call them to mind or remember them. Paul prays with thankfulness every time. That's a beautiful thing, to have that kind of consistent thankfulness. He continues, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Always, Paul? Always with joy? There's not sometimes where you kind of just pray because you know you should, even though you don't really want to, because you're annoyed with that person, because of how obnoxious they've been, or how hurtful, or whatever. Always with joy? Yeah, Paul prays always with joy for this community. There's an unwavering gratitude in his heart. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel or to think this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Paul holds all of them in his heart, not just the ones that are easy to love or the ones that agree with him, it's easy to hold those people in our hearts. But Paul holds everyone, not just the leaders, not just the people serving their guts out, everyone in his heart. He's genuinely thankful for the entire community. And, and listen to that genuine affection in verse 8. God can testify. Now, this is big. You don't call God as your witness when you're going to say something unless you really mean it, because he's obviously going to know if you're lying, okay? God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So the deep affection that Christ has for us overflows through Paul's heart for that community. He holds them in his heart. He longs for them with thankfulness and joy and deep affection such that he is moved to prayer. He's moved to pray for them. That is a beautiful picture of gospel community. 
that kind of affection and thankfulness and joy. When do we experience something like that in our own relationships? Think about that for a minute. This kind of deep affection and gratefulness that doesn't waver. Uh, you know, maybe a wedding day. You know, that tremor in your voice as you try and recite your vows, welling up from that emotion of how grateful you are for this day and how, uh, how much you love this person that you're about to pledge your life to. Maybe that's kind of a picture of that deep, grateful affection. Uh, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's when you first lay eyes on a newborn child. You know, This infant has done absolutely nothing to win your approval, and yet your heart burns with joy and love for that child. Maybe it's just even the simple things in life. So sharing life together with good friends over a good meal with good conversation, and there's nothing else you'd rather be doing at that moment than being with these people doing this thing. There's just joy and thankfulness in the friendship. You can begin to maybe get a flavor for the kind of affection and love that Paul and the Philippians have for each other in their hearts, in their relationship with one another, this mutual love and gratitude. Now we ask a hard question. To what extent do our relationships here at Westgate reflect this kind of joyful communion with one another? Do we taste this beauty in our partnership? Do others see this kind of beauty when they look in on us? Let's think about that. And if not, then why not? Now, of course, we're all still sinners. None of us are perfect. But so is Paul. So were the Philippians. They weren't perfect either. So what is it that's able to bind a community together in the beauty of unwavering gratitude and affection, despite the fact that they still mess up and sin against each other? What is it that grows and nurtures that kind of thankful affection such that our joy, the joy we have in our relationships, is able to bear the weight of disappointment and misunderstanding and frustration, conflict of all kinds? What is it? Well, according to our passage, our deep, joyful affection for one another, unwavering affection, is fueled by our partnership in the gospel and anchored in the faithfulness of God. Okay? It's fueled by our partnership in the gospel and it's anchored by the faithfulness of God. Let's look first at gospel partnership. In verse 5, Paul explicitly grounds his love and gratitude for this community in their partnership in the gospel. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So what is it that makes him pray with joy and gratitude? This gospel partnership. Ever since Paul first shared the gospel with Lydia and her family and with the jailkeeper and his family and others in Philippi, we can read about that in Acts 16. Ever since then, this community 
has come alongside Paul and his work as a partner in the gospel. So we see it in verse 5. We see it again in verse 7. Paul says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all, since I have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share or are partners with me in God's grace. So you're partners in God's grace. So as, as Paul's proclamation of Jesus lands him in prison or takes him into the marketplace or before kings, this community has been partners with him in grace, which is probably the grace of both giving and the grace of suffering together for the gospel. Paul's thankfulness and love for them are fueled by this camaraderie they have as a community on mission for Christ. So what, what does Paul mean more precisely, though, by partnership in the gospel? He uses that phrase in verse 5. What does it mean? We talked a little bit about this last week, how the word partnership is the word fellowship here. But also how what Paul means by fellowship is not necessarily what Christians tend to mean by that word. We often today think of fellowship as a very inward-focused activity. It's what we do together for each other. But Paul's vision of fellowship, indeed a biblical fellowship, is not just what we do as a community together, but it's also what we do as a community on mission. Community with a purpose. It's a partnership both in the gospel, but also for the gospel. There's movement in the language. To, uh, to quote Kent Hughes again, this is the fellowship of compatriots bound together in a great cause. Gospel partnership. So, what does that partnership look like? I want to take a few minutes to, uh, and take a quick tour of the book of Philippians to see how this idea of gospel partnership unfolds in this book, where we're heading, what does it mean. Now, of course, we're going to look more closely at each of these things in the weeks ahead, but I want us to get a, a taste and a flavor for what this kind of community on mission looks and feels like in Philippians itself. So, you don't have to take notes here, by the way. I, I put the notes up on, online later, so if you want, just want to listen and follow along, great. So first, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, gospel partnership means advancing the gospel by preaching Christ. So that's this next section coming up. It means advancing the gospel by preaching Christ. Verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me, my imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. How? By people speaking the word of God, verse 14, and preaching Christ, verse 15. So, partnership in the gospel is partnership in the Great Commission. Not just sending people out, but going ourselves to our neighbors and to the nations in order to make disciples, followers of Christ. That's part of what partnership in the gospel means. Second, in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19... Gospel partnership means praying for one another. So it means praying for one another. Just as the Philippians were praying for Paul in his trial, we carry one another's burdens in prayer. So the personal burdens that we have, 
the relationship burdens that we have and the missional burdens that we have, what we're out trying to do by God's grace for the Lord. So it's a partnership in prayer. In 120 through 26, gospel partnership means making much of Christ in everything we do. Making much of Christ in everything we do. Jesus is the heart of the gospel message. That's who it points us to. It's what he's done through his life, death, and resurrection, and how God is applying that by his spirit. That's what makes all the difference. And so everything we do, we do to make much of him, to glorify him. As Paul says in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die, gain. Everything in gospel partnership is about Jesus. Everything. Fourth, in 127 through 230, gospel partnership means trusting the gospel to do its transforming work in and through our relationships. So it's not just what we're holding out to others, it's what we're depending on ourselves. It means trusting the gospel to do its transforming work in and through our relationships. When the community that is called to mission is still a bunch of sinners, that means we need the gospel just as much as the people we're trying to bring it to. That means that the same grace that saves us from our sins, we need to depend on it also to change our hearts by the Spirit, to make us more humble, more joyful, more unified in our community and our mission, more eager to lay our lives down for one another and for the world, and more resolved to persevere in the mission despite suffering and opposition. We trust the gospel to continue to do its transforming work here and also there. Fifth, in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, gospel partnership means following the model of Christ. It means following the model of Christ in our relationships within the body and in our sacrificial love for the world. Just as Jesus laid aside his glory in heaven, took on flesh, and did not consider his equality with God something to be exploited for selfish gain, but rather died. So we follow his pattern in dying to ourselves, in laying our lives down for the sake of others, follows the model of Christ. Sixth, in chapter 3, 1 through 11, gospel partnership means being fully satisfied in Jesus. It means being fully satisfied in Jesus. Not only do we do everything to make much of Christ, when he himself is our reward and our goal and our satisfaction and our joy, then we are free to love and serve and die according to his pattern. Because if, if Christ is everything and I'm fully satisfied in him, then there's no room left for self. And that's usually what's getting in the way. So gospel partnership means I'm fully satisfied in Jesus. Seventh, gospel partnership. This is in 3.12 through 4.1. Gospel partnership means living today in light of the end. Living today 
in light of the end. When Christ is the goal and Christ is the prize, and we have our full hope that when he returns, he will finish what he started, then we have confidence to persevere today in our own personal growth and relationships and to stay the course in mission. We can live today in light of the end because we know God will be faithful. So that's partnership. Eighth, chapter 4, 2 through 9. Gospel partnership means dealing humbly with conflict by rejoicing in Jesus and not in self. Okay? Dealing humbly with conflict by rejoicing in Jesus and not in self. Ninth, chapter 4, 10 through 20. Gospel partnership means sharing together financially in the cause of the gospel. Part of what Paul's doing in this letter is thanking the Philippians for their monetary support, how they have shared with Paul, and how that offering was really a sweet offering and aroma to God. It was an act of worship. So it's sharing together financially in the cause of the gospel. That gives us a taste of where this book is taking us and how intricately woven together it is to give us a vision for gospel community and gospel mission. Everything pivots on our partnership together in the gospel. All of life is centered on, shaped by, and empowered by Jesus and by his grace through the Spirit. Gospel partnership is, in fact, a very beautiful thing. And seeing that kind of partnership, experiencing that, fanned the flame of Paul's joy and affection for that community. As he lived what we just read about together with them, his heart swelled with affection and love for these people as they were partnered together in mission, as should it fan the flames of our own affection and joy and love for one another as we partner together in this kind of mission. But what happens when we waver in our call? What happens when the beauty that we see here in Philippians and the beauty that we long for and expect in our relationships as we move forward together on mission actually ends up turning rather ugly? leaving a bitter taste in our mouth. What happens when the fruit of gospel ministry is delayed? We don't see it. We don't see the results. In fact, it becomes hard to believe that we're ever going to. What happens then? It's easy to begin thinking that there must be something wrong with the process. The gospel must be broken. Perhaps the grace of God through Christ isn't capable of bringing about the repentance and transformation that we're looking for. Perhaps working together to proclaim the gospel and to pray and live according to the gospel is simply not enough to accomplish all that God expects for us in mission. Perhaps we've been wasting our time by waiting on the gospel of God's grace through the Spirit to change hearts to change perspectives, to change our relationships as a community in our cause. Perhaps this kind of beauty and joy is just simply naive, and we not have such high expectations. 
how can a partnership like this in the gospel, for the gospel, how can that partnership generate this kind of unwavering gratitude and affection when we're still a bunch of sinners who let each other down, who make selfish decisions and say the stupidest things to one another, who are tempted every day to neglect this mission and ignore this community. How is this kind of beautiful partnership possible? Well, whereas the basis, the fuel of Paul's affection comes from the partnership, the consistency of that affection, the fact that it doesn't go up and down based on how well the community's doing, the consistency of his affection does not rest on what the Philippians are able to accomplish in their partnership, but rather on what God has promised to accomplish in and through them by means of the gospel. So Paul's love is fueled by the camaraderie, but it's anchored in the faithfulness of God. That's the steady status quo that holds the affection together. He's able to pray with unwavering thankfulness and abounding love because underneath this missional community, with all its potential and all its liabilities, there is a faithful God who will finish what he started in and through them. And that is what verse 6 is about. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, we often apply verse 6 individually. What God has done in saving us, he will complete by sanctifying us, changing us. And that's true, and this verse does apply that way. But Paul has something much wider in his scope here, much wider in view. Paul ties this good work that God has begun directly to their partnership in the gospel in the previous verse. So the, su the success of our gospel partnership, and therefore our joy in it, does not rest in our own ability, but in God's ability. And he will be faithful to do it. He will be faithful to do it. We may not see the beauty now, the flower of our love and joy together in Christ and for Christ may not be in full bloom, but the seed is planted and it's growing. And God is the one who causes the growth. And I believe that this vision of gospel mission and gospel community has been planted here and is already breaking through the ground like a sprout and you just see it there we we can't picture what it will look like yet what that plant or that flower will become but we can anticipate the beauty we can anticipate it because we have confidence that he who began a good work in us, in our partnership, in and for the gospel, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. 
We can taste the beauty in part. We can dream about it, and we can experience it even now as we move forward. When our confidence in the fruit of our mission and our community is anchored in Christ and his work and his faithfulness, then our affection and our joy and our gratefulness for one another will flow out of Christ's heart, through ours, and toward one another. A constant, consistent affection and joy, despite the circumstances of the partnership. So, because our, our confidence is in God and not in one another. So it doesn't have to go up and down, because God is stable. God is steadfast. God is faithful. He's the only sure foundation for the beauty of our gospel partnership. Think for a moment about the alternative, okay? And what that does to this beauty that's being described here. What happens when our confidence for the fruit of our ministry is in a person or in a program? If my confidence is in my gospel partners rather than the gospel itself, then I'm going to look at them with the world's categories. I'm going to elevate the things that the world elevates, things like success and numbers and money, because I want our mission to succeed, and that's what success looks like, right? I'm going to gather around myself the kinds of leaders who make it big in the world, even if that means overlooking gifted and godly people who might have less glorious careers or less successes, but who are eager and capable servants of God. I'm going to put a lot of energy into reading the right books, building the right programs, finding the right strategies, because if we can get all that right, we don't have to depend on God as much. If we put our confidence in our gospel partners, in each other, instead of in the faithfulness of God, then we're going to evaluate each other based on performance. And our gratitude and affection for each other will be contingent on that performance. So we may have beautiful dreams of what God is going to do through us. That might excite us. We might be thrilled with each other at the prospect of moving forward together in joyful mission for God. And when we see fruit, we're going to rejoice and be thankful, and our love for each other is going to overflow. But what if somebody doesn't get it? What happens if somebody doesn't share our passion or their ideas for how to implement it don't line up? with ours? What if we don't see fruit? What if some of the old conflict and sin patterns pop up? What if somebody lets us down or hits the eject button or just throws in the towel altogether? What happens to our gratitude and joy? Our patience grows thin. Competition and suspicion begin to brew under every conversation. We're overtaken by fear, which gives way to anger and manipulation. Everything becomes personal. Everything. 
we try harder in order to compensate for our guilt and hide our shame. The beauty of affection and gratitude that Paul demonstrates here is replaced by an ugly pride that betrays the very gospel message we're partnering to proclaim. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a successful leader in the world. There's nothing wrong with working hard or thinking creatively about structures and programs. In fact, gospel partnership calls us to sacrifice and hard work. We do have a responsibility before God to obey. The problem is that when we put our confidence in people and programs that are in and of themselves incapable of producing lasting fruit for the gospel, because that's something only God can produce, then we make way for the ugliness of our hearts to overshadow the beauty of our partnership. But gospel partnership truly is beautiful if we will look to God himself to provide the results. If we trust in God to complete the work he started. Again, we're not going to see the full beauty of our partnership until the Lord returns. And yet, if we're convinced that he is faithful, even when we're not, then we're able to anticipate that beauty and to appreciate it, what we have of it so far in part, even while we wait for God to make good on all his promises. We're able to experience the mutual affection that triumphs over our disenchantment, over our pride and our rivalry, the consistent gratitude that overflows into joyful prayer for one another, the quiet patience that knows that God is at work to accomplish his purposes, even if behind the scenes where we can't see what, is, what he's doing or quite know what to expect, when our confidence is in God himself and his faithfulness, we can be joyfully unwavering in our gratitude and affection for one another and in our relationships and in our cause because we know that our partnership in the gospel is not in vain. It's not in vain. Let's pray and ask God to do that among us. Lord, how we long for our hearts to burn the way Paul's heart burns. And God, we thank you for the joy and affection that's already there. I thank you for the love that this congregation already experiences. But yet, Lord, we know you have more. You have more. And you will be faithful to accomplish your purposes in us and through us. So God, give us joy in one another by taking confidence in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.